Welcome to Third Fridays, the monthly legal talk show from Lois LLC featuring attorney Christian Cisan. This is the original forum in which real attorneys discuss workers' compensation issues, share their opinions, and engage in colorful conversations. This show showcases diverse perspectives of attorneys handling workers' comp cases, including case law trends, practical litigation strategies, and hot topics. Here's your host, Christian Cisan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the August 2022 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. We've got a very special, special edition this month because it always culminates in the end of a four or five month long mock trial program here at Lois Law Firm. So this podcast will be dedicated to the finalists of this year's uh, competition. Uh, And we're going to start with uh, our paralegal finalists. Before we do that, uh, I'd like to introduce my my first guest, uh, champion of the attorney competition last year, Addison O'Donnell. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on this side of the table this year. (laughs) You had a rough go last year after you won. Well, I mean, it was challenging. It's tough. You know, my adversaries were lowest attorneys and they're, you know, they're aggressive, they're creative, uh, you know, it's, they put up a good fight, so... I'm glad to be where I'm at. Right. Good to be on this side. Uh, on the other side of the table, uh, we have Melissa Gannon, Georgina Reed, and Kara Malinowski. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> so uh, I haven't told you anything about what this recording is going to be like, right? No. Nope. Just super excited about <laughs> how everything's going to go, right? So let's start off with trivia. Okay, so trivia is going to encompass the uh, entire program, and there are uh, a couple of different ways that you can score points. Okay, so there are three categories of questions. A question can either be worth one point, three points, or five points. If you pick any value question, obviously a five-point question will be harder than a one-point question. If you get it right, you'll get the points. If you don't get it right, you won't get any negative points, but it will give the other two finalists an opportunity to steal those points. Okay. Now, if you try to steal those points and you get it wrong, then you'll get negative points. Okay. So that's one way you can get points or lose points. The second uh, opportunity to get points is uh, by requesting an all play. So if you ever played Pictionary, where you draw against your competitors for the same thing, what you could do is say, I want this to be an all play. They're only eligible for three point questions and five point questions. So what that means is the question will be given to everybody and whoever gets it right the quickest will get double the amount of points that the question is worth. If it's someone else that joined in on the question and got it right, they will just get the value of the you'll each get two choices, right? So you might go, I want to do a five-point question and a one-point question. You might say, I want to do a five-point question and a five-point question. But you'll each get two rounds to pick a point value question. Feel good about it? I guess that's, you know, <laughs> subjective. <laughs> but at least you, you understand what, what we're doing here. Does anyone want to go first? Do we get a point for going first? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. You don't, but everyone's going to go, so. <laughs> and, and by the way, Pictionary is a uh, not a registered trademark of Lois Law. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. All right, so Kara's going to go first. Uh, 
Would you like a one point, three point, or five point? Which three point? All right. And would you like to make it an all play? No. Okay. So it's a solo question. Do you want to pick one, Addison? I'm picking this one. Yeah. <coughs> okay. All right. Kara. Addison. Can an appeal be made following a finding of prima facie medical evidence? Please explain. Yes. Um, if there's a reasonable basis, whether the doctor, um, you know, if it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's at the judge's discretion. However, I would say that we can always file an appeal as long as we have a reasonable ground to do so, such as if we don't think that the doctor sufficiently showed that there was causal relationship between the claimant's employment as, um, and the work-related injury, if we didn't have a history of uh, what happened, uh, if we have any indication of priors, um, anything of the like. I'd give that point and a half. I mean, a point, maybe like half of it, half of that correctly. So I'll give you a point and a half for that one. Would anyone like to steal the other <laughs> point and a half and risk negative value? We don't have to. We can move to the it's next round. It's only point and a half. We'll move forward. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. What was I missing? So the answer to that, well, the first part was yes. You, you can make yeah. a, an appeal of a PFME finding as long as you are appealing the standard that PFME oh. is, right? Uh, it's generally seen as an interlocutory decision. Mm-hmm. But if you're appealing, you know, for example, that a COVID-19 positive test is PFME, because it's a medical report referencing an injury. If we argue that that standard hasn't been met by the particular medical record, then you can file an appeal. Even though it's interlocutory. Right. So I didn't say interlocutory. You needed needed the I word. You needed the I word. All right. Anybody want to go second? I'll go. Okay. Do you like a one, three, or a five? I'll go three. Three point question. Solo, all play. Solo. Solo. Okay, the question is, name one of the six claimants whose case did not go to trial, whose initials were not BH. Remember, there were like seven claimants, right? Right. Only one claimant went to trial. Can you remember the name of one of the others? It's from the Addison O'Donnell Dictionary of Fake Names. Many, many pages of that. I want to say Jim Marzola. That is correct. That is correct. Oh. Jim Marzola is correct. So uh, Melissa has three points. Good job. Okay, uh, Georgina, your first round question. What type of uh, point value would you be going for? Mm. Uh, so many choices. I'll take a three. Okay, everyone's going for three. <laughs> would we like to make it an all play or just go solo? Solo. Solo. I'm wondering if all play was a good idea as a I thing, know. if no one wants to do it. <laughs> Yet. Oh, Yet. Yet. Good call, Georgina. Um, Georgina. Yeah. Name two people of the opposite competition group who have secured a first place finish in any prompt this year. So the opposite competition group would be the attorneys, right? Uh, how many, can you name two people that have won a prompt? I believe. Hmm. I want to say. If I get this wrong. If Kyungjae and Dean? That is correct. 
That is correct. Uh, Keonjay won two, actually. Uh, Dean won one, and Marcos won the other. So three points for you. All right, Karen, we're going back to you for round two. Oh, five all players. Oh, five? Oh, Jesus Christ, Karen. It's almost five. like, you know, like all or nothing. you say something. Oh, no, no, gosh. You know I like a challenge, Christian, right. even if it's against it is, myself. This one is a challenge. I mean, the five-point <laughs> questions are hard, so everybody's involved, and you can write your answer down if you, you want to, okay? Mm. Now, this question is going to involve a knowledge of, you know, how the prompts have ended, Right. So you can figure out like the results of each one and how it goes. It's a tough question. Name the person who finished fourth in both competition groups. So the reason why it's tough is it hasn't been in any email, right? You just have to try and think about which attorney and paralegal has been doing just good enough, but not good enough to make it to the finals where you lovely ladies are sitting right now. They're still good, though. Oh, yeah. They're still good. They're great. <laughs> like Wait, do we lose questions on this one if we get it wrong? No. But oh. if you get it, you get 10 points because you called an all-play. What so, if we get one right and one wrong? Then I guess it would be like half. Oh, like, okay. I would. okay. I'll take that. I'll take All right. So write, write your answers down and like maybe like show it so like you don't like just one attorney and one paralegal. Yeah, if you're a different are we now thinking that the all play is backfiring? No, no. <laughs> Can't be more straightforward than that. Do, 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 do. Five more seconds. Four, three, two, one. Okay, pick one. I don't know what apparently it's working. You better pick one. You better pick one right now. Who are they? I don't know. I don't know who did this yet. Name a paralegal. <laughs> We're going to consider it a non-answer. That's fine. All right. Okay. <laughs> non-answer. Okay. What do you guys have? I have Pre and Dean. Pre and Dean. I have you got Natalie and Pre. Natalie and Pre. Well, neither of those answers are correct. Ooh. So nobody gets points. But oh. that oh, was... I had an attorney answer. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, now. Let me, oh. let me, let me show it. Let me see it. Misha. Misha's also incorrect. But that's maybe that just goes to show that it was close. This is tough. Uh, it's a five-point question. Uh, person who finished fourth in each group was Marco Sias. That was my second And guess. Reina Villar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a tough one. Okay, so Kara's questions are done. Uh, we'll go to Melissa again for your second round question. You can still steal, though. Yeah. We'll go... We'll go three. Three again. Melissa. What is the legal standard for medical causal relationship? Give me a second. It has to occur within scope of employment. Um, There has to be an injury. And it has to occur with, no, I said scope of employment. I'm just going to keep it at that. It was like you think of like rule of three. Let me just throw three things out there. Uh, Those are true things, but it's not correct. Would anybody like to steal that answer? How much is this? It's three points. If you guess, you can get three points. But if you guess and he gets it wrong, you lose three points. 
No. No. Okay, so none of none right. of what she said was the legal standard. She was saying correct things. Yes. But it wasn't the legal standard of how that issue is determined. A suggestion? What is the legal standard for medical causal relationship? So we talked about it actually in the deposition prompt and also at the trial. You don't have to guess, by the way. <laughs> you don't have to try to steal. <laughs> okay, no, no. All right. So Georgina, it's your last question you want to go one Wait, what three was the well we should yes. be, yeah we should give the answer right? so that would be we, I, we would have accepted anything around this basis but sufficient probability as to the cause of the injury supported by a rational basis uh, hmm. that right. is just kara's yeah. given me a scrunchy face i wasn't gonna risk my 1.5 points <laughs> <laughs> you would have <laughs> but i would have gotten <laughs> okay so uh do we? I don't even know if we have any three-point question. Oh, we have one three-point question available. Do we? Yeah, we have one left. Okay, that's fine. If you want to do that, I just assume everyone's doing three. But if you want to do one or five, actually, no, Kara did a five-point. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay, so I have a three, and I can do all or. Yeah, you can choose to bring them in and double your points if you get it right, mm-hmm. or okay, so, do it by some. Let's double. All right, oh. so we all play for three. Yes. So it's worth six points for you, Georgina, three points for you guys. Okay. All right. According to the incident report, approximately how many employees were injured as a result of what occurred on the day in question? So whoever gets it closest to the number will get the correct answer. So how many employees? You probably want to write it down. What? Can we look at anything? No. No, you can't look at anything. (laughs) I have the instant report right here. (laughs) A for effort, Melissa. Law school would have been a lot easier under that rationale. Can I just make everything the bar exam? Is this Price's Right rules the closest without going? No, no. Let's just be closest. Are we all good? Yes. All right. What's the answer? Well, show, show what you wrote. Show what you wrote. I said 40 to 50, so I can go 40 to 50? I'm going to make you pick a number between 40 to 50, because then that means you get the whole range. The whole range right. right? Pick a pick like an actual number. number. 50? 50. I said 50. 50. I said 42. The answer is 49. Okay. <laughs> I actually wasn't considering this possibility where like Georgina did all play, gets it right, but Melissa also got Gosh. it right. We could have a standoff. We could do a standoff question. Do you want to do that? Yeah, all right. absolutely. All right. So whoever gets this question right would be either Georgina gets six or Melissa gets three points. Oh, gosh. Georgina. Yes. Melissa. What was the name of the employer witness at trial? Write it down. Not the person who played the witness. Not, not the person we, who we played the witness. We all know and love him. The role. But the, the name of the... Employer? Yeah. The name of the employer witness. Like this supervisor of, of, the, of the employer. I have one question. Was it a name that was already stated before? Like before... Like, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> By... I mean, his name was mentioned in the podcast uh, 
<laughs> the trial. The trial. I, that does, that's not going to tell you whether it wasn't a podcast. The employer witness. Employer witness name. Yeah. Mm. All right. <laughs> this is like stone cold. I got it. Okay. Let's uh, write something down. Okay. All right. What let's you see your answers. What do we got here? Jim Marzola. It's Jim Marzola. It's Jim Marzola. Sorry. That's why I asked because you. Right, because you said it. No, I know yeah. why. You, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So that does it for trivia. Um, we're gonna, we're going to be right back to come uh, to come and talk about our next uh, portion of the podcast, which will be about the trial and what happened thereafter. And we're back. Uh, so we just gave the finalists some materials to work with. Uh, what did what did you guys see? Like, what, what did you guys describe? What you just saw. It might be hard because you know it's Addison O'Donnell and all his theatrical glory. But what did you guys see there? The judge putting his decision on the record and providing the basis for his decision, and then obviously Clement's counsel objecting to all the findings. The setup for an appeal. Another tomfoolery. Tomfoolery. Harry Potter looks very different than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do we go about uh, analyzing that for anybody else who isn't in the room? Right? How would we describe what happened? Can we boil it down to a few sentences? Any themes that we can? talk about? I mean, there was summary of the direct and, and cross of the claimant and the employer witness and uh, pointing out maybe inconsistencies or things that didn't make sense. Um, and then based on the summation from the claimant and the character, um, again, pointing out inconsistencies or things that just maybe were important and then a finding based on all of those summaries. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd say that's a pretty good uh, rendition of it. So, what happened after that? The claimant appealed. The claimant appealed that. And what we want to discuss today is what would the claimant argue and how would the defense rebut it? No one's taking a particular role, so it's just a conversation. But any of those topics, you know, I guess there's two. Like, what would the claimant argue on appeal? And what would the defense say to rebut the claimant's appeal? Anybody can go. There's no... I mean, I, I know one of the exceptions that they noted was that the claimant provided evidence of an accident happening and medical records to support it. Um, and, you know, stated that the carrier didn't prove anything to the contrary um, on the trial level. However, from the records that we have, I know there was an employer witness that was produced. Um, you know, the carrier would be arguing or rebutting, I guess, their claims that their claimant was more credible in testifying to the fact that an accident happened and that uh, the employer witness was incredible in the statements. Um, and then when it comes to the medical records, uh, the claimant would be arguing that the 
doctor found uh, reasonable within a reasonable degree of medical certainty that the claimant's injuries are related to the accident of record. However, we know that the doctors are going based off of what the claimant's reporting. Um, so in our rebuttal, we'd be arguing that the law judge already found that the claimant was incredible in their reporting, therefore the doctor's reports are incredible in finding causal relationship. Okay, yeah, so that, you know, we're talking about, like, whether the accident happened, who is more credible in testifying to that? Uh, what would a board panel review to make that determination? What kind of uh, key points would they look into? determine if the claimant's appeal is correct or the claimant's appeal has merit. The incident report, I would say. What's the incident report? Okay. I would say because it's documentation that not only does the manager, I think because, you know, the number, the amount of people that was involved in the accident, you can't say that 50 or 49 people are lying. And then if I'm not mistaken, that one person saw the explosion who was driving on the highway and then crashed into the building and died. So you can't say that didn't happen because a person is dead, even though they didn't work there because of the explosion that happened, a person is dead. So whether it was one explosion or two explosions, you know, there's also going to be a police report of why that person died. So you can also, I think the board will also look at that too, even though it's not directly related to the explosion in the building, it was a cause of it. So I feel like those are the things that they're going to look at as well as, you know, the other, the other 49, 40 something people who were in that accident, they can also bring them in for testimony as well. So that's that's not a bad idea. Why why do you think that didn't happen, right? For many of the claimants, council groups at the trial, like request to bring different people in or a police report or anything like that. I mean, based on my experience, lining up before the witnesses can be a pain. Um, you know, you have people that are have a fear of retaliation from their employer if they're still employed, want to still be employed. Also, based off of the scope of the alleged accident in this case, you can assume that other people are also hurt. They might be treating, filing their own claims. So there's kind of a, uh, it, you know, it just it, it makes it almost impossible to coordinate everyone and their own claims and their own injuries. And then, um, you know, you're trying to just deal with the people who you find the most credible when you're presenting an employer witness as well. So if you only need one, why are you going to waste the time of the courts and yourself and attorney, paralegal time, all of that, when you think that one will get the job done? And I do want to push back. The employer witness that was presented, there was one. The claimant was the only person who testified on her own behalf. And so... Really, why didn't the claimant bring another witness in? Maybe you don't need 49 people, right? Maybe, but that's, that's the red herring. That's the scapegoat. You don't need all 49 people to corroborate. You just need more than one. So how would you make that argument? Which is also a good point, too, because I like that idea, right? Like, how could 49 people be not telling the truth? But if... We think about the possibility that they would be telling the truth if they testified. Why is only one person, right? Maybe, well, no, maybe only that person knows that they can do, that they have the right to that. It's maybe possible, yeah. no one let them know that, hey, you can, you can file a claim, like this happened. And also the building broke down, so they don't even know if they're not going to work. If, right, if I'm not wrong, like the factory broke down. So they would have to actually get a notice inside of the mail stating that, hey, there's this, play, there's this thing going on, you should be involved. 
So I think that's maybe might be why they didn't know or they didn't know they weren't brought in. I mean, Payments Council also is lazy in that they just assume (laughs) everything's going to be in their favor. You know, the burden is on, I mean, in this case, it's presumed that an unwitnessed accident is to have happened. Um, Was this unwitnessed? No, but I mean, I was just saying. Interesting. um, I mean, there was an employer witness, so. Well, if you guys were claimants counsel, you wouldn't be lazy. No, absolutely not. No, No, this would have been established, you know, (laughs) temp total awards, permanent total disability. (laughs) I feel like when there's like an accident where there's there's multiple things going on, multiple people are injured, the more people you have, the more risk there is of stories not lining up, people not saying things that add up, and you're putting a risk of not having anything established or anything, you know. You know, you don't want to go in there and have two different people saying two different stories. Better safe with one person who is closest to the claimant. I'd say that's a pretty good claimant-oriented answer. But like, if I have forty-nine, mm-hmm. right, the ones that don't corroborate my story, like you stay at home, yeah. right? If I get right, like what As is saying is bring in one person, and now the judge is saying, uh, well, two people came to corroborate this, as opposed to one person who's filing claim that has a self-interest in giving this testimony, it makes it easier for a judge to say, well, if your own reports are saying 49 people are involved and you didn't call anybody, it makes it easier for the judge to look at the employer side and say, where are the other 48? Okay. What about causal relationship, right? We went over in trivia, uh, you know, what the legal standard is, but based on what happened in the deposition prompt, and like arguments at trial, do you guys believe that the claimant has a good argument for saying that her injuries were related to this accident? I think for certain sites, yes. Yeah. Um, I think for like the site site, I don't think so. I mean, there was so much evidence that there were prior treatments on medication for what she was alleging, you know, years before the accident. You know, I think. That would be something that wouldn't have causal relationship. I think it's harder to it's harder to like I don't know how to say this, but it's harder to prove that like the back injury didn't happen on the work accident. Like if there's injury, if there's you know pain, if there's limiting range of motion, and you know it gets established, you know the case goes on, and there's PFME for the back, it's harder to you know disprove that. Especially if you don't like have anything to the contrary, any other possible cause of that. Like it'd be one thing if you know she was in an accident, a car accident two years prior, was you know even receiving chiropractic treatments prior to kind of say that there's another possible cause for it. But if there's no other way to kind of channel the doctor's opinion on causal relationship, and they only have the one incident to look at, then it's more likely they're going to find that that's the cause of the complaints. That that's, raises a good point because, you know, Addison, you see this a lot too, where a claimant's attorney will say, this accident uh, resulted in a claim that should be established, neck, back, shoulders, knees, hands, fingers, feet, toes, and it almost adds to the lack of credibility of it when you say your whole entire body was injured, or as Melissa is saying, well, if one of the body parts is more likely to be established than others, did the claimant bring forth a less credible claim because they're adding this psychological component without 
credible medical. The, the, the assumption is that there is an injury, but where did the injury come from, right? And that's tough because sometimes how do you disprove that there was no injury? It's a very tough, uh, tough thing to prove. Sometimes it's impossible, but uh, with enough with enough medical acumen and skill, you can look in and say, "Hey, degenerative." It says degenerative osteoarthritic, right? There, are, there are certain words, right, chronic, that imply that it wasn't something like an accident. I mean, it's also an opportunity to kind of take a shot at the claimant's credibility and have them testify specifically. How did you get hurt? You know, that's something that is you need to be strong at the inception of the claim and make sure that we're getting testimony of like, okay, you're alleging that you injured your left shoulder. How exactly did you fall to hit your left shoulder? And even if the claimant says, you know, like, I don't remember, it was this big traumatic event and stuff, it's something that you put in summations to just point out that the claimant's incredible and the basis for finding that uh, causal relationship is insufficient. So I've got a lightning round question I want to ask every single person here. I was not prepared for this, so I'm excited. <laughs> you must give an answer and you must give a rationale. What about notice? Was there proper notice? Explain why. I'm going to start with Melissa. Does that mean that they're, they can, like, make sure we have them write it down? No, know? I want to hear it on the spot. Make your argument on the spot. Okay. All right. On the spot. Okay. If I'm remembering correctly, the accident occurred on February 2nd, 2022. Notice was given February 30th, no. 30th? I'm going to say February 28th, which is over the um, notice requirement. So, no. Notice was not there. All right. Georgina, was there notice? I would say there was a notice, but was it properly done? No. But there, it was done. So, I feel like that needs to be taken. How was it improper? Um, well, the date uh, was incorrect on the accident sheet. But I interpret it as the person at the last day of the month instead of saying, you know, the 30th day of February. Uh, I don't remember the exact dates to argue for the notice issue, but, you know, the issue with notice that we would argue is whether or not it prejudices the carrier in this case. Um, so whatever, whether or not notice is found, we can still argue that prejudices the carrier for when the proper time to investigate it. Especially if it's a catastrophic event, we want to be there right away. If we didn't get, you know, some type of investigator on the scene until 30 days later because notice took some time, you know, you have caution tape up, you have people cleaning things up, you have whatever hazardous material people in there cleaning things up. It's funny, like the same question with three people. I thought I would get like bits and pieces of the no. answers together, but it was three different answers. And I'm extremely impressed at each answer. Right. <laughs> so like... Uh, you can argue that notice was untimely because you know February thirtieth is not a real date, right? So it's like days be saying that we can't determine when notice was given, right? But if you believe that February thirtieth was February third, right? Maybe there's a typo there, right? Like notice would have to be within thirty calendar days to be timely, right? And Georgina, you were saying something about how like notice was given, but it wasn't the right way. Well. If the employer witness was there and knows that something happened, right, does the claimant still have to prove it? No, right? Because that's actually one of the exceptions. If the employer has actual or constructive knowledge of the accident occurring, then the claimant doesn't actually have to provide written notice to the employer. 
That makes sense, right? You're there. You saw it. It happened. And then to your point, right? Yeah. It's like almost like the system works because Kara is saying, like, yeah, well, we would argue prejudice. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The system's working. We're thinking defense again. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, no. you know? And uh, no, I'm, I'm actually surprised that we got three different answers. When you said everyone was going to answer, I was like, they're just going to piggyback no. off each other. I wouldn't answers. allow that. If someone <laughs> copy and pasted, I would have been like, nope. Right, no, right. Okay, final thing, guys. If you were the board panel and the claimant appealed, would the claimant succeed? Just write yes or no on your paper, and we'll ask you to give one to two sentences why you think that's correct. You don't have to write the sentence down, just like the yes or no, and then when we come to you, does anyone want to go first? I can go first. All right. Melissa, what, would the claimant succeed on this appeal? wrote no. You wrote no. Why? I think giving the full prompt and everything that went on based on inconsistent medical, inconsistent reporting from the claimant, unreliable witness testimony, I think there's too many, I won't say red flags, but red flags that don't line up and don't make sense. Um, and I think the board would just affirm the decision of the law judge. Okay. I said no, also, um, because obviously we have the Addison O'Donnell Appeals Bureau, and we pull up case law from the pits of <laughs> wherever. Um, but I think really the board would rule in uh, the carrier's favor because it was a credibility determination, which essentially comes down to the law judge. I've not seen many instances where it's overturned um, when it really is a credibility finding. But then also there is a lot of inconsistencies in the record. Okay. I'm kind of hoping Georgina says yes to claim it, just to make it interesting. But what, what did you think? I had said yes. Oh, okay. I think it makes it like, okay, we wrote a good prompt. Yes. Like, you know, like one person thought it should win. Why do you think the claimant should succeed here? I think the claimant will succeed because if it's just the meaning of them getting the medical records, they can just ask for the medical records and go through it. I don't think that's like a big problem. But the fact that the claimant, as well as the manager, the incident report was made and involved so many people, I feel like they're just going to lightly lean towards that because it's just too many people and there someone died. So I feel like they're saying it's unreliable for us because we're defense. It's We're going to say it's unreliable. But for the judge, they're going to see about the number of people, how many people were involved, the outside factors, I feel like. And plus the building burnt down. So there's evidence that something happened for that building to not exist anymore. So I feel like that's why. No, that makes sense. You know, I almost, I was like, should I have paused this so like my friendly adversaries that are listening to the podcast don't steal this information? <laughs> the person that died is probably a big case theory point, right? If I'm making a summation argument for the claimant, I feel like my first sentence would be, Judge, someone died as a result of this accident, right? And that's the thing that, you know, you start to stir up, you know, the real truths of what's going on and really yeah. muddy the water. What'd you say? I said, but that only goes to the accident, not all the other issues. Good point. That's a great point. Good point. We still don't know about all, you know, right. the causal relationship, the medical issues, the notice issues, all that. So that's a good point. It's a staged accident. Maybe the guy crashed the car, you know, was somewhere right. else, and the guy got out and just sat in the corner and watched that's the whole thing down. That's true. Addison <laughs> was very, very demonstrative about saying that it was staged. Staged <laughs> accident. Yes. All right. Well, I think that covers the substantive portion of it. What I always like to end on is 
you know, how did you guys feel about the program in general? What kind of um, improvements do you think we could make so that next year's participants do even better than you guys did? Because you know? I do want to thank you guys. You guys put in uh, you know months long effort to really uh, surpass a number of worthy peers. Um, what went right for the program? What what didn't go right? What what would you like to see next year? I like that there was you kind of went in blind to the prompts. But there were instances where I felt like it was too blind. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a little vision. Like there was full, no eyes existed. (laughs) Magic's removing a blindfold. Yeah. So I think just having like a little more guidance as to what to expect, um, you know, not so much down to like the details, but like even just knowing, are you going to be defense or are you going to be claimant's counsel um, just helps I don't even want to say ease people's nerves and stuff, but I it would almost, absolutely say that. But, well, I, like I wasn't ner- <laughs> right. like I almost like was less nervous going into because it you didn't. because I just didn't, you know, didn't know. what it could But be. it almost like couldn't that be a benefit though? But it almost like limited. I don't want to say how much I cared, but like how much I cared about it. So we're just like, well, I don't know. It's kind of a crapshoot, regardless. <laughs> so whatever right. happens, I think happens. If, like if you knew the if you knew just what you had. But if I knew, like, oh, I'm defense, like, would have spent, you know, a little bit more time, like, getting into that mindset before. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's a fair, fair point. You guys, any feedback? Um, I would say that definitely the, is being too blind point was real. But um, one of the things is I feel like because we're all together talking about things, it's a little bit, like, chaotic. Right. (laughs) Because we're all talking, but some people are defense, some people are you know, not defense. So, you know, we're all mixed in together, so there's no like train of thought. So I feel like that kind of thing, just like location wise, if like everyone is on this side go over there in that room and then, oh, okay. and then like come a, back together. Like a physical distance yeah. between opposing. Because it was like 45 people sure. in one room talking at the same time. That's interesting. Thing. Right. Yeah. And no no one organically came out and said, let's move to the other side of the room. Right. Like yeah. a breakout room. Because we felt like we were session. confined there. Right. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. Anything for you, Melissa? Um, I mean, I think what I like the most is like, cross-examining and like you know direct examination. I think like those were the things I felt more, most comfortable with. Um, I think I agree with Carol with the being blinded. I also think like there were a lot of curveballs, like major curveballs <laughs> that like threw it threw me off a lot. Um, but I know it threw other people off. So I think like. There can be curveballs, but maybe not like, you know, not too like a major league curveball. <laughs> yeah. All of this is very helpful and it shows that look, every prompt you're learning something, you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, like Kara said. There are a lot of people involved. You know, you noted there's like forty people in one room talking about it. It's a major program here at Lois. And and when it comes to curveballs, I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm Mr. Curveball. Yeah. He's a picture on the map. This is my one thing that, I, that I'm passionate about, and it's it's um, you know you learn something from it. You learn you learn you know from the welt that you get from the curveball. You know there's no clear winner because everyone everyone's winning. Everyone leaves the room saying I have something that I'm taking away from this. That's a great point because if you strike out almost in like a training environment, right? Because you miss the curveball then probably more likely to hit the curveball in real life, right? And I think that's a really good point. But 
Uh, all of that feedback is really great. Uh, I do want to thank you guys again uh, for uh, your efforts. Uh, everybody that is sitting here at this table truly deserves it. And I think today was a great showing of that. Uh, what do you think, guys? Any final words? I am very, very excited. Uh, you, know, you three have you know, risen to the top. Uh, I always say that the cream always rises to the top. Right? A good thing can't go unnoticed for too long, and you three have proven that uh, during every, every prompt. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So for Melissa Gannon, Georgina Reed, and Kara Malinowski, and Addison O'Donnell, uh, my name is Christian Cezanne. I'm reminding you guys to defend from day one, and we'll be right back with the attorney competition. Okay, and we're back. Uh, it's the August 2022 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. I'm back with Addison O'Donnell, last year's mock trial champion. How did the paralegals do in that uh, earlier session? What do you think? Well, I was very impressed. You know, from beginning to end, these paralegals were professional. They were they were certainly assertive in, in their allegations. And if I closed my eyes or if I if I didn't know them at all, you know, I, I could have I could have mistaken them for counsel. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, I, I thought they did great. There was a lot of like back and forth. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I can only expect that the attorneys will uh, match them. With, with the amount of talent that we have in the room. So let's get to know them. Uh, to my right, we have Connor Weatherington, Kian Han, and Natalie Thomas. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so as I uh, told you guys, uh, there's going to be uh, a trivia round. Uh, explained all the details uh, for purposes of our listeners, since we already explained it in the first segment. We won't get into it now. So does anyone want to go first? I'll go first. All right. Would you like a one-point question, a three-point question, or a five-point question? A five-point question. Five-point question. And would you like to all play it? Yes, I'll play it. Oh! And, and the balls are in the air. Okay. Uh, this is a very different uh, start from the paralegals. The paralegals <laughs> wanted to try and play it safe, right, and see what the questions are. But I like, I like the tactics here. So uh, I'll turn it over to Addison for the first question. Wow, geez. Okay, everyone uh, needs to have a pen and paper uh, in front of them. You have to be closest to the number, and whoever is closest to the number, we will measure and gauge uh, whether the answer is correct. Question is, how many entrants were there in this year's mock trial program? The participants? Yeah, people who, people who were entrants. Entrant implies signed up. It's a tough one. This is a tough one. This is tough. All right. Kim Jay, since you uh, chose this. We have never lost out an answer. We, we yeah, all, okay. I, saw, I saw Connor stroke something with, with the pen over there. Kind um, of like a signature. I know. I know. Could be a scribble. Last name's too long for a full signature. So, how, how many entrants were there in this year's mock trial program? Kim Jay, what did you write? 20. 20. Okay. Natalie. 39. 26. 26. So it turns out the answer is 31. And I believe Natalie. Right? Which you said. What was your? 39. 39. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm Connor's sorry. You are closer. 26. 26. You're right. 26. 26. Uh, 31 entrants. Yeah, it's our uh, largest um, 
group that we've ever had, yeah. which is uh, kind of inspiring for us on this side of the table because uh, it was a, a voluntary sign up. Uh, and we had a lot of talent across the board, which actually speaks to the skills from these guys on the other side of the table to kind of beat out all those people, right? Uh, but yeah, 31 entrants. Uh, Connor, you have five points added to your score. Um, Apologies for my math. I'm sorry. <laughs> I ignored what Connor said. <laughs> 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 all right. So Kim Jay's question, um, his first round question is up. Does anybody else want to go second? I'll go second. All right. Would you like a one, three, or a five, Natalie? I'll do a three. A three. Three. Let's see here. Sure. Natalie. I think we should add, like, an explain why. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, do you want to make it an all-play? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, like, wow. You know, like we do Sorry. have some, some uh, judges and... Um, so it's people watching in the yeah. audience. This is a first for the podcast. They have people just watching and they're just cheering on the all play calls. <laughs> all it's play. So great. All play. Let's do it. Okay, okay. I'm going to say a statement and you have to tell me if it's true or false and why. So it's the best answer is going to get it. All right. The Section 21 presumptions do not generally apply to witnessed accidents. You should write it down. Can you repeat that? Sure. The Section 21 presumptions do not generally apply to witnessed accidents. True or false, and explain why. You have a good, like, question repetition voice, right? Like, you know, you, you say the question, and then the second time is for effect. It's, a, it's very calming. Thank you. Thank you. I was meant for radio. <laughs> Do you know, um, actually, I, I did speak to this before we recorded. I have a friend who listens to the podcast, nothing to do with workers' compensation, and he specifically pointed out an episode that you were on that he just enjoyed your, you know, your, your, your tone. And I was like, so you've been listening to me every single month, and then this is the one you choose to tell me about <laughs> well, talk about Addison. Friend, I'm humbled by that compliment. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Who wants to submit their answer? Should we go with Natalie first? Yes, that's her question. question. Absolutely. Um, I would say that this statement is true as the Section 21 presumption specifically applies to unwitnessed accidents. That is correct. Why why would that why why does that presumption exist or why would why does that concept exist? Well, it's an unwitnessed accident, so it, it gives uh, it gives a little bit more of a Flexibility for the claimant to, to get that that presumption that the accident did occur if no one else was there. Yeah, it's super unfair, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like it. Yeah. Right. Just assume. You guys also write true. I wrote true. true. I also what, wrote was, true. What, what else did you want to add, basically? I think see? it's the same. I think this question was a slightly uh, tricking question, actually, because yeah. presumption is really about, even if it's unwitnessed, the accident is presumed to be happening, and whether witness exists or not is irrelevant to this presumption. Whether whether the witness is relevant to the presumption. Okay, that's I can see where you're going with that, but I guess the presumption's application is based on the witness, so it is a little bit relevant. I'll 
kind of slight disagreement there. What do you have, Connor? No, I said true as well. Because I mean, if you have a witness that's there, it's more likely that it happened, right? Um, and it also kind of plays into the issue of notice. It's more of a constructive notice. And even though 21 doesn't necessarily relieve, the presumptions don't necessarily relieve the claimant from making their burden of proof and proving that the accident occurred, it's just more likely that something happened if someone saw it with their own eyes. Okay. How do we decide the points for this, Addison? Since everyone got it correctly, and it's based on the support that they put for the answer. I, th- I think they all should get three points, but Natalie all played it. Okay. And then so she gets six. Six. Okay. We'll go with that. All right. I'm very impressed by that answer. But then again, you know, we're lowest attorneys, so we should know. We should know the minutiae of the law that we practice. Well done. All right, so that leaves us with Connor for his first round question. You know, I'll go for a three point question, um, but we'll choose to not all play. Oh, questions. getting the ire of the audience, though. <laughs> not as fun to watch, but sure, that's a pretty good strategic move. You guys can still steal if he doesn't get it correctly. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is just Connor, no? Just play. Connor. Connor. My former mock trial adversary. <laughs> Good times. Yep. Now I'm on this side of the table. Brings back <laughs> Here's your question. If a law judge cites a case denying your request to cross-examine treating providers because you have not produced contrary medical evidence, how should you respond? Uh, I'm going to object and say that it is our right under 12 NYCRR 300.10B, as that entitles us to cross-examine treating doctors, even if we do not have contrary. You know, the the last part is definitely correct. Last part is definitely correct. It's like a slight citation. It's actually 300.10C. But the the citation part was going to be a bonus. That was a bonus, yeah. The concept is correct, yep. so you uh, will get three points for that question. The idea is, and we, we uh, parlayed this in the surprise hearing in prompt two, yes. uh, where all the paralegals hated me for a month because <laughs> we had a settlement conference that then turned into an impromptu hearing. And the issue was that you as the judge, Addison, mm-hmm. were, were denying every request for cross because the employer did not have an IME, right? Right. So the idea is that it's not that we don't produce um, con- uh, contrary medical evidence. It's that if you have non-contrary medical evidence, if we have medical evidence that agrees with the treating doctor, like CRs conceded, then we don't get to cross. So by not producing the IME, we still retain the right to cross-examine the treating doctor. You know, Addison with his fancy case law citations, like, don't let that uh, trip you up. Brian B. Borg Warner. And I was speechless. <laughs> I mean, it, I got to tell you, when uh, you were the one who, who argued against it in the surprise hearing. And you said, that's not what Brian B. Borg Warner stands for. And it was, it was a, my how the turntables, right? I mean, it was, it was great. <laughs> All right. So Connor gets another three points. Uh, so that finishes round one. Um, I guess we'll go to Kim J to start round two questions. One, three, or five. Um, I came here for fun, so I'll go for 
five. Oh, there we go. Another five point yeah. question. And are we going solo or no. all play? All oh play God. again. Oh, the risk takers. I came here for fun again. So do you think do you think that would that, that could be saucy? But it would allow you to 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 Unless we, uh, I, I think we're going to eventually get to that. One. All right. So we might as well do it. We might, oh, we might as well do it. Right, Let's right. do this. One. All right. You'll need your pens and paper. When is the deadline for a respondent brief of a third department appellant's brief? When is the deadline for a respondent's brief for a third department appellant brief. You guys can tell that I didn't write this question. <laughs> Given <laughs> we're in the room uh, with Addison, the uh, appeals expert. We have to see how close we are, too. Right. I'll, I'll be the math portion, right? You be the answer oh, portion. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah, hey, know. I went to business school too. <laughs> we went to two different business schools downtown. Okay. Yes. The, uh, <laughs> the, the overachievers in the room. All right. I also went to business school for undergrad. Oh, well, <laughs> you right. throw that out there. All, all right, right. All right. It's a baby All right. Now, now don't, don't feel the need to compete with this. Maybe Kelly J. <laughs> That's fine. All right. So the question was, uh, what is, when is the deadline for a respondent brief of the third department appellant's brief? Kyung Jay, since you were the one who requested this, what do you have? I had no idea, so I just wrote 21 days. 21 days. Interesting. From when? Uh, oh, from, uh, from the appellant's brief file. Yeah. I actually put the same. 21 days? 21 days. Okay. What do you got? I put 60 days. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's my, like my heart. <laughs> so, it is 30 days from the appellant's brief filing. The respondent is entitled to two extensions of an additional 30 days. So, Ooh, could, so would, if someone said 90, if someone said 90, I'd be like, you give it to them? I probably would have because that's standard as a matter of course. When you receive the appellant brief, custom dictates a lot of appellate practice. Just to inform all the parties that you're interested, you could still file them in 30 days. But just to tell everybody that you're interested, you respond back with, I would like an additional 30 days. It's more of a customary professional you know, procedure. It's not mandatory, but it shows that you've been doing it for so Connor was close, but in terms of the numeric amount, it would be both Kyung Jay and Natalie. So I have no idea how we're going to do these points. Do we do a, a tiebreaker question? Why don't we ask yeah. them a question that we asked the paralegals? Sure. Oh, you know what? Uh, the the one that they. Oh yeah. Yeah. That yes. One. All right. Yeah. Let's do the tiebreaker question. All right. You have your pens and paper. Here's the tiebreaker. Name the person who finished fourth in both competition groups. This is a tough question because I didn't give you the standings after the last trial prompt. So it's it's mostly an assessment of who's been doing well with you guys, but not well enough to make it to the table with you guys. What, fourth overall? Yeah, fourth overall in attorneys and paralegals. 
So who do you believe was fourth overall? Now, do I get to answer this as well? There's the tiebreaker. Uh, it's just the tiebreaker between them two. I mean, you can answer for fun if they don't get it, but we won't give you any points. That's fair. KJ's got his game face I know. on. Turn the paper over. It's like, oh, no one's looking at my sheet. Need those elementary school dividers. Right. The folders, the trapper keepers. Yeah. Right, that was a throwback. Wow. Trap. What is trapper keeper? It's 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 a type of folder oh that, you know, you have a regular folder. The, the slots are in the bottom to put the paper in. It had the slots on the sides. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. I called them trapper keepers, too. I thought that's what they were called. Is that what they're called? I thought so. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So it's the tiebreaker. Young Jay, since it was your question originally. I wrote MZNED. So Marcos and Emily. Okay. Marcos, Zayas, and Emily to win his bowl. I put Marcos. And? I thought it was just four. Yeah. Do you want to guess who came in fourth for Paralegals? It could be uh, Emily. Georgina. Georgina. I said Marcos and Uma. Marcos and Uma. So everybody correctly got that Marcos was fourth. Yeah, that's uh, weird. Because we never told anyone that. Yeah. Um, we just figured. Fourth place for paralegals was actually Reina Villar. So Marcos, Zayas, and Reina Villar. Shout out to them because they also did a great job, uh, but not as great as you guys did. So, um, What's the fifth? Well, I mean, I could, I could we're not going to embarrass people. But, you know, <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> all right, so... They both wait. They both got Marcos in the tiebreaker. I know. So we have to do another tiebreaker. Oh, jeez. Another tiebreaker. Uh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. You have your pens. You have your papers. What was the full name of the claimant in this case? And if you guys get, if you guys all get it, it's gonna tiebreaker for this one's gonna be spelling. So just so we don't go to another question here. Spent five months with this individual. All right. Time's up. Uh, whose question was it? Was it Kianjai's? It was Kianjai's. I only remember Greg part. Greg. Maybe it's not. Greg? Yeah. I put Greg Agner syrup. I have Greg Agnerinic. I think Natalie's the closest. Natalie's I think Natalie's the closest. closest. <laughs> Greg Agnerinic. It's from the uh, Anson O'Donnell reference. Got just it. for just for the folks at home, what was the spell, correct spelling of that last name? Of the last name, A G N I R U C. What's what's the ethnic origin of that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just we're curious. Mo- we're moving on, everyone. We're moving on. So Natalie gets those points. It was a five point. Because Kim and Jay's here to have fun. I know. That's exactly what he said. All right, so Natalie, your second round question. All right. You're going to go one, three, or five? Well, we'll keep it fun. Do three, but all play. Oh, a three all play. Yeah, for sure. That's a good one. All right. Three all play. You have your pens, you have your papers. Who can name the most doctors who testified in the deposition prompt? (laughs) Treating and IME. Last names are fine. You don't need first names. It's a tough three-pointer. I know. I could give a small hint. 
these names were based on real doctors who we regularly depose. Both I am mm. and true. That's a great hint. It's a great hint. Because there's so many doctors, too. It doesn't really narrow it down. Mm-hmm. But I didn't make them up. Not like Greg Ragnarok. <laughs> I wonder if uh, maybe people just take a shot with the types of diagnoses that were involved in the case and maybe narrow it down even further. Mm-hmm. This is all just banter to make sure that there's no silence while they write down names. No. We could we could fill in on ESPN <laughs> <laughs> between, between periods. All right, we're going to get five more seconds. All right, time's up. Does anybody have six doctors? Does anybody have five? Four? Connor thinks he's got four. I barely got one. (laughs) (laughs) That's shot in the dark. All right, so Connor, who are your four doctors? Uh, There's Dr. Joel King. There's Dr. Alan DeLa-Chapelle, who's an IME for the site conditions. Uh, Dr. Teresa Habacher, who's also an IME uh, for the orthopedic conditions. Um, I think I might have misspelled the name wrong, maybe even got it wrong, but there was an IME, peer review IME, for the inhalation. I was say maybe Dr. Spear, but I think that's wrong. That is wrong, but I think that's enough to take the question if you guys don't have three. So, <laughs> all right, that's three points for Connor, and we got one more question left in the trivia round. It goes to Connor. Feeling saucy. Pressure is going to go. Is on. You know, I think I'm going to end the round with a nice one point question. Oh, that's boring. Yeah, any one of those. I guess not not this one. No, but but, I mean, this is any one of those. Are we going solo or? Yeah. All right. What? This guy doesn't want to have fun. I know. He's or he's over with the fun. He's done. Yeah. What Rewarding was the point? What was the order of the prompts for mock trial twenty twenty two? You could just say it. You could say okay. it. Okay. Um, prompt one was a client call. Prompt two was a settlement conference surprise um, pre hearing conference type hearing. Then we had the medical. Depositions of all the doctors. Then we had the trial, and now we're here today with the with the podcast. That's correct. That's correct. Oh, one pointer, one nice fifteen point outing right there. That's a nice foul shot for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, we'll be right back uh, to go over uh, the actual substantive portion of the mock trial. So we just watched uh, a video of uh, the decision after trial from Judge O'Donnell uh, in his best, uh, I guess, fictional character slash real character impersonation. Uh, you know what was interesting, Addison, is that when we watched it uh, earlier today with the paralegals for the first segment, they were really taking it in and trying to figure out you know, their theories going on. As soon as we started the video here, all the attorneys just started taking notes. Yep. It's almost like uh, you know that, that trial experience started kicking in. It's kind of interesting to see. So let's start there, guys. Like, what 
what do you think that was like? Well, describe what that video was, you know, for you know our listeners who obviously are not going to see that video. What happened there? So basically, the case was disallowed. Uh, to elaborate, yeah. Um, so this is usually the called AMCR hearing, where uh, parties argue as to whether the case is compensable, and if so, for which site. And here, uh, evidently, Judge Adono uh, disallowed the case, which means unless claimant appeals and wins in the appeal, um, they will not be compensable for yeah. the accident. So like, what, what was the reasoning for this one? So from what I, what I got from it, this was the judge basically going, summarizing everything that was before him. And in making his decision, and he found that the claim was staged based on no, not having a clear narrative of what exactly happened. Uh, I think that was one of the major points. So kept repeating, no clear narrative, no idea what happened, and also the claimant's story seemed to be weird and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of unlikely events. But uh, he was. Basically, giving us a reasoning why um, the claimant failed to meet his burden in proving that the unwitnessed accident did actually happen. An interesting point of view, maybe from Connor here, because you know we weren't in attendance for it. You know, we had your performance judged uh, separately from the entire group. You know, when you had your comp, you were uh, taking testimony from the claimant. It's the same claimant actor that we had at the trial, so the same types of information. When you're going through direct to the claimant, cross of the claimant, did you think that this was a winning case for the claimant? I would honestly say it was maybe a 50-50 shot. Um, you know, she had the she had the uh, medicals there, but I think what really turned it. Um, was while the witness statement was illegible is, is the proper term. There were so many holes and inconsistencies that I found. It, when I was getting to do it, I, she, I think she testified. You know, um, she was at one on one floor of the factory uh, on direct, and then when I asked her, she was somewhere else. She was saying the main lobby is the fourth floor, but it wasn't the fourth floor. So she was. She was all over the place and gave a lot of inconsistencies. And, you know, I think based off her direct, I was able to attack her more so that way. Okay. Um, anything else from you guys? Like any takeaways from uh, the video that we saw before we head into what actually uh, will be happening based on that video? So every everyone missed 231.22 dates. On was it on the medical record or was it on the, the witness the witness statement? No, no, this is, yes, I think it was on both. Yeah, that that everyone missed two thirty one point two. Now that I think of it, it's very shocking. <laughs> right, actually, the the paralegals brought that up in their segment, right? It's like a you know a notice defense issue, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's true. I mean, sometimes uh, you know when you do so much, it's like that little minute detail that can really uh, change the uh, complexion of the case. So, what happens now, uh, for purposes of our 
podcast comp is that the claimant has appealed, as you might expect, otherwise we would have nothing else to talk about. Uh, but the claimant has appealed. Okay? So we're not going to you know assign roles or anything, but we're just going to be talking about issues, right? Uh, conversationally, what do you guys think the claimant would argue on appeal, and what would the defense uh, argue to rebut the appeal? So no real layers or anything. Whoever wants to, you know, really start and take us through there. I think the the first thing they're definitely going to argue is the issue of notice. It seemed like uh, Judge O'Connell was focusing on the inconsistencies in reporting. Um, but what they're probably going would what they would argue is the issue of notice since uh, the witness Jim Marzola was there and filled out the report and noted he was there. They'll argue there's no issue of notice because it's constructive. He was there. The witness anyone doesn't apply. So from a notice aspect, I think that's uh, how they would attack it. There, I feel like in terms of an uh, accident uh, aspect, I do believe that. While a claimant has some form of a memory loss, some of the documentary evidence that exists there, uh, and also John Marzolo's testimonies, and Jim, and Jim Marzolo's testimony and everything. Not to be confused with managing partner John Marzolo, yes, is actually uh, strong enough for establishment purpose at least. Um, and also, I think they would argue that Judge Baldonos, uh, based on his oration of judgment, he probably was not making good decision here. Like his decision <laughs> Are you might saying be generally not I am not of sound mind? <laughs> Just no. not a good good uh judge of the factual issues in this case, probably that's so kind of he's kind of saying that. Yeah. yeah. Continue counselor. <laughs> <laughs> so accident notice, what about causal relationship? It, I think it's my position that if, if I were the claimant and I and I was appealing, I would just continue my same argument, which I committed to when I when I make my argument. And right, because you were in the summation. Yeah, and that's the Section Twenty One presumption. I think that the claimant had all of the evidence, medical as well as testimony, and despite some inconsistencies. The carrier didn't really provide anything to refute anything that, that the claimant was putting forward. So he he was entitled to that presumption, and I think that's going to be the, the basis of the argument. I would just uh, hammer in on that. The defense, obviously, is, is going to say, well, the judge had was the best, um, you know, he, he had the, the best, he was in the best position to review the evidence and, and make a decision based on, on what was before him. He heard people in person. He saw the witnesses. He was in the best position to, to make that, that decision. So there's really no basis to interrupt that. See, he was of sound mind. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> there, were, there were no errors of fact. No errors. Yeah, I mean, in reality, when we're talking about accident and notice, uh, aside from the causal relationships, usually if we don't produce any employer witness, and as long as Claimant doesn't look like she's outright lying or she's completely incapable of testimony. If we have documentary evidence and also claimant testifies, then usually judges just establish the case. It works almost like PFME sometimes. Oh, like saying that, you know, 
it's like a low burden for the plane yeah. to right. to establish the case. Like in, in practice, I guess that's true just based on the numbers, right? It happens more often than not. Um, but Natalie brought up a point of saying that uh, the judge was in the best position to you know make a decision, right? So, so what what is the defense saying? You know, substantively to rebut the appeal, meaning like what best facts or arguments are out there to say that this claim should be disallowed? I think I would say we at least produced one uh, witness of our own, and albeit uh, our evidence being relatively weak compared to the claimant's evidence, we'll also just point out some discrepancies and memory loss issue, and judge considered everything, and basically he's got great depth. Uh, I, I would point out just the claimant's inconsistent statement was don't make him a credible witness. So even if the judge was in the best position, you know, to, to make a call, he would have seen like I don't believe him, and that's exactly what the judge did. You know, he he, he listened to the testimony, and the claimant just kept lying about different things. So the board and the judge has the discretion. To determine credibility at when we present with all the facts, and then that's what we would we would argue from the defense side that when taking the testimony, the medical the medical deposition, all together, and the credibility cornucopia there, <laughs> it would uh, it, it, they have the final determination. So I, I've got a question. All of you must answer one by one. <laughs> Don't say yeah what what he said. Yeah what she said. What your rationale. Say the Section 21 presumptions do apply. In terms of refuting those presumptions, does the evidence need to completely rebut the presumptions? Yes or no? And explain. I'll start with you. I would say no. I don't think it needs to necessarily rebut every presumption, but it has to be, I believe the standard is substantial evidence. So we would need to be able to present something substantial enough to refute something. Like maybe the incident report, maybe it wasn't filled out time or so you could like they should notice. The witness was there and said, oh, I was standing right there. There was nothing there. So there's some there's ways to rebut it. And then we would also have to prove that we were prejudiced by the delay or anything of, of that nature. With the PMJ? Added to that, because the substantial evidence standard is uh, not like beyond reasonable which some of the listeners might be more uh, aware of. It's a very flexible standard. So uh, it would be up to board or the law judge uh, who's making a decision uh, a lot. A lot of deference would be given. Uh, and since this case was already decided at a trial court level uh, that uh, this judge doesn't think this accident happened, because usually uh, in the appellate levels. Uh, they don't like reversing the decisions as long as it's arguably legally correct. And because, again, of that standards of uh, flexibility, uh, I think we don't have to provide the evidence that's so strong. To I'll keep it short. Um, it's the same, but um, I'll just put it in a different uh, perspective. I think it, it does doesn't have to be it completely, uh, doesn't have to rebut completely uh, the evidence, but I think it has to be enough to tip the scales. 
you know, the judges in between who's weighing the evidence. And it just has to be enough to kind of like tip a little bit. I think it's actually a good question to ask in light of what Kim J brought up about, um, you know, the importance of producing the witness at trial because really the fact that claims are deemed compensable so often is seemingly like it's like a low standard. Legally, it's not. It's a pretty high standard once we just rebut the presumption that it's an unwitnessed action, right? So if we say that it's witnessed, then we get out of all of those easy, uh, you know, I guess, uh, arguments that the claimant's going to make to establish the claim, and it makes it more comprehensible to make a defense theory for the judge. Uh, I have a question, too. Um, so you guys know what the claimant are you, and you know what the defense would argue in rebuttal, right? So given the facts of the case, would the board panel affirm or reverse Judge O'Donnell's decision and why? So you just write it down, write it down, and then uh, each of you guys will go um, one by one. Would the board panel affirm or reverse Judge O'Donnell's decision? So now, but we just got to put some banter in while they like, write something. Man, man, <laughs> not my brother. <laughs> Car talk, NPR, <laughs> That's all they did. That's all they did. One of my favorite parts of the entire mock trial program is the the final podcast. Um, Last year's final podcast, I was on the other side of the table, and Chris Major was uh, the co-chair. Oh, that's right. And, um, you know, I, man, he's an intellectual powerhouse, because he was asking questions about loss transfer. Um, right, he's always just building and building those questions. It's, it's tough. Section 29, and, you know, so, better me than him this year, huh? <laughs> You're not an easy one yourself with that respondent brief deadline question. So you'll never forget it. All right. Uh, I think that's is that. Is that enough time? That's enough time. Yep. All right. So I think Kim J, you finished first. So so the first. I'm sorry. The court is likely to. Sorry. The board panel is likely to affirm the final judge's decision because um, first of all. Uh, the board panel doesn't like reversing the trial court decision to begin with most of the time. Uh, and also given that employer arguably produced enough evidence uh, to tip the scale as uh, what Natalie said before, um, therefore judge's decision was legally sound, arguably. And we can think about it this way too. The workers' comp uh, trial judges do the work of both the juries and the judges. And in civil courts, appellate courts generally don't reverse jury decision unless there's a legal issue with it. Factual issues, they put great deference into jury unless there was some evidence that was not submitted or there was a tainted jury pool. And Judge O'Donnell doesn't seem to be a tainted jury here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he goes from saying that you weren't of sound mind to now saying that, you know, you were yeah. Reversed so, on appeal. Did anyone say that it would be reversed? Oh, they both said it. Interesting. All right. Let's hear the rationale. 
I think the board panel would like to reverse Judge O'Donnell's decision. Um, if it finds that he didn't give sufficient weight to the totality of the evidence provided by the claimant. In this case, the claimant provided medical evidence, uh, provided uh, evidence of, that there was no risk. And while, while the testimony is questionable, uh, you know, like little discrepancies here and there, I don't think that the board will find that they were sufficient um, to discredit that an accident occurred. Uh, the carrier didn't really bring up anything that was concrete or, or enough, like a heavy, you know, type of evidence showing that the claimant was lying. Um, I think he, he kind of just introduced, like, kind of like uh, the idea that you could question whether, you know, one explosion, two explosions, but I don't think that the board can find it sufficient to tip the scale. I think on that basis alone, the claimant is going to get the presumption that the claimant is going to go to the scale. Okay. Well, Karen, do you have any, anything different yeah. to add there? Yeah, just a little. I mean, I completely agree. I do think uh, it would likely be reversed uh, by the board panel. We all know the Workers' Compensation Board loves claimants to get their money and, and, and give them so much uh, leeway with just about everything. Not speculation. <laughs> um, you know, and the issue of notice, I mean, the incident report is signed and and dated and filled out within the 30 days, the 30, if the accident happened on February 2nd, 30 days would have been March 4th. It was signed on March 4th, or March 1st, and completed, I guess, March, uh, February 30, 2022, even though it's not a real date. <laughs> but still, it was within the 30-day notice. Um, plus, the accident was witnessed. The employer witness was there. He testified to the explosion, which kind of, in a way, corroborates uh, the witnesses, or excuse me, the claimants, um, Allegations of events. Um, and then, too, you have to look at it from a medical standpoint, too, because the you know, causal relationship is the legal determination for the claimant meeting her burden of proof. And then there's also the medical aspect of causal relationship. And unfortunately, in the prompt, the carrier's uh, psych IME conceded uh, PTSD uh, and depressive disorder, albeit partially like an exacerbation of a prior. I think the board would weigh heavy on that, similarly with the ortho of the back. Uh, Dr. Havacker in the prompt also conceded because she said there's no evidence to refute that this didn't happen. And I think that will be given enough weight to where, if anything, it will be reversed and established possibly to an exacerbation of the site condition and, uh, and an orthopedic injury to the back. Now, as it relates to the inhalation, I think that will be thrown out uh, just because... You know, the, there was no safety data sheet. The doctor had nothing, no toxicity reports or anything like that. So I do think when you're taking all of that into consideration, that because the board's going to take four to six months to review all this, and uh, I think it would be reversed. I will just add also that, in my opinion, the board might be swayed by the shock value of what they were seeing. It was seeing catastrophic. Right. I agree. Can That's actually agree. what uh, the paralegals uh, discussed. You know, it was a, actually an interesting um, you know, back and forth because the, the nature of the shock value of this event would lead the workers' compensation board maybe a trend on the side of the claimant. But then there was discussion of, well, 49 people were injured and the claimant didn't produce any witnesses to say it also happened and all these injuries. That was a point of discussion where it's like, 
they didn't bring these witnesses in. Did this happen? You know, you could also look at Judge O'Donnell's um, reasoning. It's like if he couldn't tell the narrative, like uh, what happened, right? But the employer witnesses did kind of corroborate the fact that this happened. I think at one point the witness employer said, oh, there was a lot going on that day. It was a big commotion. We were trying to get, you know, an idea of what was going on. Now, I do want to say this. Notwithstanding any Section 23A deficiencies, I actually believe that on appeal it would be affirmed on procedural grounds. I think it would be Here's why. Claimants rarely have the capacity to write a good appeal. Oh. <laughs> I'm serious. They don't, they don't know how to fill out the RB89 form correctly. And one of our greatest procedural arguments is the board cannot properly review a deficient RB89. Of course. In the test. Of course. Here at Attorney Lois. <clears throat> that's right. Here at Lois, we, we that's a normal argument that we, you know, argue, that we, we affirm, that we win. So we ensure that our appeals go out perfectly, right? And so we have to have some chutzpah. We have to have some strength in order to do that. Uh, I don't know. How about you, Christian? Do you think it would be affirmed or reversed? Yeah, you know, I think that it could go both ways based on what Judge O'Donnell was saying about there's no narrative, right? Because like, if I'm claiming, I'm arguing the judge was just, you know, not really considering all the facts if he's going to say that there's no narrative. There clearly was a narrative something happened. So it's like, if I can defeat that little sentence, that kind of defeat everything. Then again, that same sentence I would use from the defense perspective to say that Judge O'Donnell didn't find a narrative because the claimant didn't prove a narrative, right? So I think the case would just hinge on that sentence within the video. Because when, when you recorded it, and I watched it for, for, for the first time, you know, I'm doing what you know, we're, we're trying to do in the context of every case. What, what are the pressure points that we can use uh, to exert some chaos and really change the game? Right? Like use what we know to, to really make it into a real strategy. I, I think that ultimately it probably would be affirmed a little bit for Kim Jay's point because uh, you know, there's a lot going on that the claimant could have done that uh, she didn't do. But there is some credence to that. I think that, that you know, maybe that goes to how well-written the fact pattern was, Addison, that mm-hmm. you did this year, because if there are differing opinions, then that means we did a good job. Absolutely. So, substantive por- portion over, right? Let's now just talk about feedback stuff, right? How did the program go? terms of good things, bad things, how can the program be better next year uh, for uh, our participants in 2023? So I think fact pattern and actors and everything was great. Just a rule was a little bit because I kept getting summation or like a favorable, the easier part of the prompt, like ortho, which I know kind of back in my head, everything, even like 312 weeks, we memorize everything. But people who got death claim who are like first year, second year associates. Right. So that thing should be evened out a little bit, I think. That's probably fair. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, with everything being randomized, uh, it's probably the most fair we can make it because if you are trying to distribute difficulty level of cases every single time, I feel like that exerts some human influence over it that might 
make it unfair on a different scale. But that's, that's a good point. I mean, I, I felt maybe we can get rid of that. Yeah, just get rid of it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, the other things everyone's aware of, at least, yeah. like psych or neuro, even if it's less extent than shoulder, we see every day. But, you know, actually to bring that up, and it's, it's important because you and I actually did talk about this briefly in between the prompts because yeah. you were wondering, you know, what you would do if you got the death claim. And then I asked you what, what you would do. And you actually told me that you went through my list and started reading some of the stuff I was writing in my death claims. <laughs> and isn't yeah, that the impressive. point? Yes. Isn't yes. that the point of why yes. we're doing these things? Like, you know, I mean, you could have been lying. I still would have been happy. <laughs> the fact that you said that to me. But that's the whole point of the process. I really benefited from, like, going out of my way to research Topics that I normally wouldn't even touch, like inhalation. I've never done inhalation, but for that prompt, I kind of read up on it and I learned about like you know six minute tests or walk tests, something I would never have known about. So right. in that aspect, I think Matra really promotes learning and, and just being motivated to like you know look for material that you know really interests you. Okay. You know, I think overall. It- it went well. I think everyone did well. The prompt was fun. It was challenging because, like Young Jay and Natalie said, like I personally have never dealt with inhalation either. Uh, I haven't dealt with a death claim, so that was something um, you know that I had to to go challenge myself to learn. Um, but I think too maybe something that could be changed into next year uh, is the overall vagueness that this year was. I understand that there were there's some struggle where you don't want people taking away from their day-to-day to prep for this. But for someone um, like me, this is my third year doing mock trial. So for me, I was really wanting to you know, try to showcase skills and try to train in and help develop the younger associates or legal assistants or paralegals that were participating. So for me, I found that more challenging with it being so vague and you know, the teams, if you're in a team, they want to meet and having to go through and try to be like, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, we do this, we do this. It's kind of a lot and you're throwing so much at them. So maybe if we want to keep it vague to a degree and make sure people aren't taking a month to to prep and train, maybe the week of the prompt, say like that Monday, maybe the materials get given out, you know, shortened. So it's not just like day of and 20 minutes. So that way, maybe it's someone who's older, like, like myself or next year for Kyung Jay and Natalie, they can try to bring up, you know, the paralegals and the legal assistants and maybe even new people that started young attorneys that uh, want to participate and get their feet wet and see how everyone does it. Yeah. Let me just, I want to address everyone. This, this is great. This is these are great you know, suggestions and feedback. I do want to shed some light on this. Kyung Jay, my first lit plan, my first legal action plan budget here at Post Law Firm. First year associate fresh out of law school was a death claim. Natalie, my first trial, my number number one first trial was an inhalation trial. Connor, my first wrap-up policy that I that I had to represent, no e-case access. No facts, all vague. This is the hardest things that we do at Lois Law Firm. They're the most technical things. And curveballs are good. I love curveballs because then in the real world, when a curveball comes, 
and actually catch it instead of getting wet. And part of part of the flavor of this month or of this uh, this year really was how can we teach the most complex things in short enough time? And you three rose rose to the top. The cream always rises to the top. A good thing can't go unnoticed for too long. You three proved that by sitting here. I just wanted to, I wanted to get that out. And your suggestions were very helpful. Yeah, I, and, and to Connor's point, I think uh, you know not having the materials it does uh, disadvantage someone who is really good at prep, right? So if you're good at prep and we don't give you materials to prep, you could make the argument that someone else can kind of like even the playing field is not as good as hearing prep trial prep as you. But at the same time, if you're better on your feet, right, which is Really, what we do in almost every single aspect, from attorney to paralegal to legal system, right? Whether it's answering the phone, answering a question, getting an email out the door, sending the post hearing report out on time, getting a good appeal brief, everything is standing on your feet and trying to do things in a volume industry. Uh, I, I I do think maybe the materials a week prior could be a good compromise mm-hmm. because obviously the paralegals said you know that they want to be more aware yeah. of it as well. Uh, but who knows? I mean, like, one of you guys will be on this side next year and you can uh, really implement uh, all that going forward. Uh, so just to end on the podcast, every listener should know this is not a real case. Uh, <laughs> don't look it up. There wasn't someone that died. No. Nope. Uh, and all these names are, uh, you know, uh, fictional. So um, thank you uh, guys for, again, a great season. You guys performed very well. Uh, so for Connor Weatherington, Kian Jehan, Natalie Thomas, Addison, any final words? Well done. I'm very proud of you. You've grown over the past five months, six months, and I look forward to really pushing this seat to one of you three. Thank you. And this is Christian Cison reminding you to defend from day one.